Explode your to-be-read pile with The New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash new releases. That's bookriot.com slash new releases. Happy browsing! Welcome back to the Book Riot Podcast. It's normally a news and talk show about what's new, cool, and we're talking about the world of books and reading, except for when it's not. And one of the times it very much is not on a schedule is for our recommendation shows. And today we are doing, well, both parts, we're going to re- release them in subsequent weeks, our holiday recommendation extravaganza, the original flavor, the original recipe of non what's new, cool, and we're talking about. We've been doing it. Did we start this the beginning, the first fall season? I can't remember if it was from the first year or not at this point. Yeah, Hmm. I don't remember. I I have this feeling that early podcasting Jeff and Rebecca would not have been sure we'd have enough listeners to write questions Mm. in the first year. I think it was maybe the second or third year. Right. Well, it kind of doesn't matter, but uh, that's what we're doing this week. Thank you all so much for writing. It's so funny, and I don't know... Some of this could be availability heuristic um, at this point, but I do feel like in the the arc of our recommendations, it's further and further towards dad books. We need more rec- <laughs> Is Am I wrong about this? No, I think we're manifesting it. <laughs> it makes me wonder a couple of things. One is why. Not, not in a bad way, just why. Two is don't you think a podcast call dad books? So, that would do well, right? I think someone, it would. It would do well because we didn't get a lot of feedback. Like I said, someone wrote in today um, that's as an addendum to their recommendation and blah, blah, blah. I think the problem is it's one of those terms that's the worst one except for all the others and, yep. and trying to describe it. It's like if we had a thing that we could all agree tomorrow, it's kind of like going to the metric system. If we could get there, it's better. But the pain of getting there... <laughs> is real high. In in the, the short run, it's all downside. And only our grandchildren were, will benefit from the ultimate change in a way. So it has a it has a weird shape to it. I think also dads can be hard to find gifts for unless your dad has a really defined hobby. Mm. It's tough. Like how many, I, I don't know, in my family, it's like how many polo shirts or ties or like, That's a great you know, point. stuff like that or grilling implements does your dad possibly need? And if you have a dad who's open to receiving books, this is a way to sort of channel some of the gift-giving energy that you have for your dad without running through the stereotypical gifts that every gift guide on the internet will say, give this to a middle-aged man. Mm. I, I like. I think you're onto something there of like, it's more of a problem-to-be-solved question. It's like, not only are, are dads and brothers there's a lot of brothers and sons in this too that mix Mm -hmm. up husbands fellas on the whole or those who present as fellas i should say and there's a couple reasons for that one is i think a lot of the people reading or writing in listen to this show they're book people in general but they don't have like a deep well of recommendation candidates in this particular genre you know this particular arena Mm -hmm. i also think these books don't get the publicity because they get sold in these particular quantities. They don't tend to win awards or anything like that. So they're a little less discoverable. So not only is it 
a real pain point to buy presents for these people writ large. But also in this arena, the kinds of people that are writing into us, this is their maybe their blind spot within the world of books and reading. Because people yeah. are saying, like, I would buy them a graphic novel. They like that. Well, clearly they know graphic novels. They know fiction. They know memoir. Some narrative nonfiction as well. But the things that, that breach over into a good pick for brother Kevin or, or or dad or other things like that is pretty interesting. The other thing we get a lot of is someone who's new to reading in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we may have my favorite one ever this week. Yes, me too. Uh, for this time. But that's another one. <laughs> I know one. which one you're referring to. So I do think it makes sense that the more and more we get to the edge case of recommendation, because our rank and file listener is a very good book recommender writ large. Like this would be a completely different set of requests if we were a more general interest show that just happen to like books. And so the people themselves don't already know about, say, Harlem Shuffle or someone here is asking for a request. We'll get to this down the road of like, wintry book set in Eastern Europe. <laughs> it's like, okay, I don't think you're going to get that if the armchair expert does a book recommendation episode. Right. I don't think that's the kind of request you're going to get in that's, those situations. That's really true. And it resonates with my experience from being a bookseller, which mm-hmm. is like when you're just working at a bookstore and the person who likes books comes in to find books for a family member who maybe likes books, but might not really like books. It's just the thing the person wants to give them. You do just get a lot of like, oh, he really likes heist stories. And then you can be like, here is Harlem Shuffle. And you're pretty guaranteed that whoever they're shopping for has not already read Harlem Shuffle because they've probably read four books this year, if that. Mm -hmm. And this is our audience here is a completely different uh, level of this is a, a completely different league it's a much higher challenge i think that's right it's it fun. makes it fun it's always a good time but I, I think that's one thing we found the more sp- we've gotten more specific over time maybe it's because we all used up our swiss army recommendations people already know what we're gonna wreck for someone who's just like <laughs> i'd like to read more books like you're gonna get you know a couple of things that we normally yeah i think them. this is the first time that i don't have gilead or Tiny Beautiful Things, or Terry Tempest Williams uh, in any of my selections. The Recommendation Hall of Fame. I know Amanda and, oh no, is it Amanda and Jen? I think Amanda and Jen mm-hmm. do that and get booked where they can only recommend a book X number of times and then it goes into the Hall of Fame. And I don't know if they bring it back off the shelf after a while or it's just like, if you've been listening, you know that's one of our recs. That's our RSTLNE of our recommendation mm-hmm. for these particular kinds of things. We've called them before various things. Swiss Army recommendation, uh, Swiss Army recommendations is, is something I used when I did a post on it a while back. Some of those things have, because of the author or just they don't seem as relevant anymore, like is anyone reading Elegance of the Hedgehog anymore? Remember that one was a, was a book oh, that you could just pull yeah. off the shelf? Maybe it's come back around where a lot of people have missed it because that's a fairly good general purpose kind of a read. I dug, mm-hmm. I, I went into the bag a couple times, I'll admit. I, you'll hear, you know, you know. I don't know if you've looked oh, at my yeah. recommendations uh-huh. here. But yeah, no Gilead for me. I don't think I have a, yeah, no tiny beautiful things. I don't think we, you, wait, no, no, that's wrong. Okay, we'll get to it. But let's first, let's do a sponsor <laughs> and then we'll uh, get into it here. Explode your to-be-read pile with The New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash new releases. That's bookriot.com slash new releases. Happy browsing. All right, Rebecca, would you like to start by giving or receiving the recommendation read? You know, why don't I start by giving? Okay. I have a long list here. All right. Um, 
So this person, I love this first. The setup is that they started a buddy read project with their dad during the pandemic. They had completed a virtual book group reading uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates' Less Stupid About the Civil War recommended reading list not long before that. So then they picked up reading about Reconstruction and they've you know moved forward into more contemporary things. They both grew up in Kansas, um, like, like both of us did, and have a fondness for the Flint Hills. But now they're off the map. They don't know what to read read next. Um, giant nonfiction tomes seem to be their thing and they but they don't want anything that's too academic or too grandiose. Um, so they want something that's toothy enough to make notes and spark discussion for their weekly book chat. And they seem to be interested in the late 1800s from the lead up to the Civil War on are both science people, but not into travelogues. This was a really good set of parameters, I thought, from this listener. I thought I agreed as well. It's specific without being precise, um, which is a nice place for us to live. I'm going to start, and my my first one almost is a Hall of Fame, but I'm going to justify it here for a couple of reasons that are um, self-useful to me. One is... This is a gateway drug book for this kind of reading. So this is A Brief History of Nearly Everything by Bill Bryson. It is not as long and in-depth as toothy as I think this person wants, but what it does is it's good entree into other realms of inquiry that you guys might want to follow up on later. And it's a lot of it is spends time because, frankly, a lot of the modern scientific... I guess, branches of thought or, you know, disciplines that we understand, geology, anthropology, geography, mineralogy, all happen around this time that it sounds like you and your dad really like to spend in time, the late 1800s into, you know, the early 19th century, where you had sort of the gentleman explorers in Britain, like going to the Amazon or going up and digging dinosaurs or going up to dig stuff up in Egypt, you know, doing colonial stuff where they're finding things. But then a lot of our current academic disciplines have grown out of what these people did. And it's a wonderful survey of that. And you may not realize that you're as interested in in paleontology as maybe were. And mm-hmm. then you could do when dinosaurs roam the earth or something else like that. So this gives you a lot of like seed corn for future harvests um, uh, to explore down the road. The other one that I was going to recommend is not out yet. So this is not that helpful, but you could give it as a gift. Um, and it's, I don't have the author in front of me. I just wrote down the title because I was looking through Publishers Weekly and Publishers Weekly in print and even on the iPad, you can't search for it. And I could not think of it. And I wasn't, it doesn't, doesn't matter, but it's called The Man from the Future. And it's a biography of John Van Neumann, who might be the most interesting per- person who ever lived. A polymath of multiple fields who this is a 20th you know a 20th and early 20th mid 20th century person but in cryptology and semiconductors and physics really had his fingers in a lot of pies and it's kind of the inverse of brief history of nearly everything where that's really a top down kind of version where this is uses the prism the prism of john van neumann's life and interests and accomplishments to sort of look at the scope of human achievement and scientific understanding during uh, his lifetime. I believe it comes out in January. So if you're the kind of person that wouldn't mind a little gift card with a recommendation or something like that, you could slide that in there. But that's Man from the Future, along with Brief History of Nearly Everything by Bill Bryson. You had already... So Rebecca entered into the field first, right? She got here first. She had first mover advantage. Congratulations to her. 
Because she did a couple things I would put in here. So go, go, go do yours. Yeah. This is a question that really lives very solidly in our shared wheelhouse. (laughs) Um, So I did feel lucky that I got to this one first. Um, I think Stephen Johnson's How We Got to Now and Inissa Ramirez's Alchemy of Us are both really wonderful histories of science and how scientific discoveries push culture and society forward. Neither of them is huge, but you could read them together. They have some overlap in the discoveries that they're covering, um, and they address those a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. Or you could pick one of them. I find Johnson to be a little bit more conversational, um, but Anissa Ramirez is is not academic, but is a little closer to academic and really packed with facts. Both of those draw so much on research that you could jump off from them to follow a bunch of rabbit holes down. Um, I think the just crowned glory of big toothy narrative nonfiction in the last decade plus um, are Siddhartha Mukherjee's two big books, The Emperor of All Maladies, which is a biography of cancer, which is really, really wonderful. He also huge science and cultural history. And then he has one called The Gene that is um, a little bit more sciencey, but also just packed with how did these discoveries happen? What's our approach to research, even into some que- you know ethical questions about how we think about um, studying genes and all of the possibilities that might exist as we have a deeper understanding of how our bodies work. Um, and then I would be remiss not to mention Ed Yong's I Contain Multitudes. Uh, I think the world discovered Ed Yong in this last year and a half as he was covering COVID for The Atlantic mm-hmm. and doing a really remarkable job. But before that, he wrote this really fun book about bacteria and basically how bacteria get the shaft, but are pretty awesome. And we have tons of them on our bodies and in the worlds all around us. And it's just fast. Fascinating. Um, there's so much there. It, all of these will fill you up with hey, did you know facts for like seven years to come. Um, so, and also, I just as a side note, because it's not in any of these wheelhouses, but since you're both from Kansas, I think you might want to take a look at the Franz and Crossroads. If you're open to fiction and it's a little, it's contemporary, but you got that Midwest setting, it's set in uh, Illinois, but it feels very familiar to people who grew up in, in Kansas, at least for the two of us. I thought about, I, I, did, I wasn't thinking along the lines of fiction, but since you put that there, it did get my wheels spinning a little bit. And since the two of you do seem interested in ideas, the other, the stretch pick um, is The Topeka School by Ben Lerner, which is also a mm. novel, but it's a novel of ideas and very, very interesting and set. Ben, ben Lerner, pardon me, grew up in Topeka. Um, and there's a lot of Kansas stuff in there. Emperor of All Maladies by Siddhartha Mukherjee is the pick for this. I'll just mm-hmm. I'll just put that out there. If you haven't done that together, please try please consider that because I think just to build on what Rebecca said, it does the science culture specificity telescoping move we like from these books. I think it's the gold standard. I think a lot I think this I is agree. the kind of book that people are f- trying even if they don't know what they're trying to do when you look at say Bill Bryson's The Body or Bill Schutz's book that came up this year called The Heart. They're all trying to capture the sweep and depth and import of what Mukherjee does. I think Mukherjee is a wonderful writer and has an agile mind, and so it's very hard to do. It's like saying, if everyone could just shoot threes like Steph Curry, wouldn't you do that? It's like, yes, you <laughs> right. could, but that is very hard to do. Um, side question. So that, anyway, I, that, that's the number one pick. I, I think we both agreed there. Or mm-hmm. I think that one has a... Since the field of cancer inquiry is longer... It has a more historical bent than the gene, 
which essentially starts for all practical purposes, you know, with Watson and Crick and X-ray crystallography in the 50s. So we don't have that much. We're very much in the middle of the gene. Not to say cancer's figured out, not by any stretch of the imagination, but you just get more historical sweep with yes. emperor of all maladies, like going back to ancient Egypt and talking about like how, how you know, cancer was represented in hieroglyphics and stuff like that. You can't believe it's fascinating what gets done there. Uh, okay, so let's move on. That means I'm reading next. Hello, Jeff, Rebecca. Hope you're all fine. Fine. Yes, we are. Thank you. Thank you. Wanted to get my request in early this year, and I'm hoping to get some recommendations for your favorite works in translation. Most of my favorite translated works are either big name authors like Isabel Allende or discovered through Europa Editions. No shame. I would love to get some translated authors who are a bit off the beaten path. Genre-wise, I'm pretty open, although I tend not to pick up sci-fi and very scary things. Sweet spot would be literary and historical fiction, and I'm also a big fan of magical realism. Thank you. Thank you. Best. Isabel. Okay, Rebecca, what did you pick for this one? This is a weak spot in my personal reading repertoire, um, literary fiction in translation. It's just something I think I perpetually have the intention to do mm. more of, and I just never quite get there. Um, so I asked for help from our staff and contributors, and Kelly Jensen recommended A Small Charred Face by Kazuki Sakuraba. Hmm. I don't know where this will land on your threshold of too scary. It is some scary um but it is about vampires in china and japan um and the tagline is even monsters need families so Hmm. i trust kelly's taste and recommendations i think this is worth a shot Um, and since you're open to you know genre fun you might get a little creeped out but usually vampire stuff, in my experience, is far enough from reality to not be, you know, you don't have to put it in the freezer to to cope with how scary it is, like Joey on Friends. Um, so the, I'm going to toss that one out by way of Kelly. I've got two picks, one that's out and one that doesn't come out till January. But since this is a for you pick, you're not trying to, I assume you're not trying to surprise yourself with a gift under the tree. If you do pull that off, please let me know how and Um, what kind of dark arts you practice to surprise yourself with your own (laughs) gift on Christmas Day. The one that's out, and this is an author I discovered through Jen and being on Get Booked, she recommended, and I do not, I couldn't find a good um, pronunciation, so I'm so sorry. I'll put the link in the show notes. I believe it's Marion Dye, N-D, capital N, capital D-I-A-Y-E. And this one's called, I believe you say The Chef, even though it's C-H-E-F-F-E. It's fiction. Um, she's a French writer. And this one is what I want from fiction about food that's not a memoir. So it's about a chef in France making wonderful meals. The plot's pretty interesting, but it's really more of a gustatory celebration um, of a world that I know a little bit about, but not that much, especially French modern or contemporary culinary um, culture. And I think she's a wonderful, interesting writer. Highly, highly recommended. That's my number one pick that's out now. The other one I was going to recommend, I, I looked at, I, I was like, I, I know there's one I've thought of recently. It's coming out in January from Penguin Random House. It's called Bibliolepsy. And the author's name is Gina Apostol. And she's a Filipino writer. And it won the Philippine National Book Award. But it's set, you know, in the world of Marcos. But also, what really got me is that uh, she's caught between wanting, the main character's caught between wanting to join this revolution and just sort of escape into writing and reading. Like, b- between the the world of politics and physical things and the trials of man 
and the life of the mind and the imagination, how those things two connect and what pulls apart. Um, I actually think now that I'm looking at it, this was on the Penguin Random House website, but it's a Soho Press book that's distributed. It doesn't matter, but it's coming out January 4th. It's called Bibliolepsy um, by Gina Apostol. So that's one that's on my list. I, I don't know if it's any good, but it sounds like it might scratch some of the itches that you are looking for there. And I, I'd second this, that you and I are not wonderful readers of translation. Um, yeah, I think we know enough. We're so... We ha- we know enough books that we don't go searching for them. I think that's fair to say about you and I on the whole. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for b- works in translation, because things way have marketed and sold and everything else, you have to search for them. Um, and we don't on the whole, unless something really breaks through, like it's a Ferrante or what. What are the big translated books? Oh, I've got one coming down that's a translated book from 10 years ago. But like, what were the big translated hits of the last 10 years? It's kind of, it's not a very long list. I think you've got... <sighs> Ferrante is number one with a bullet, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, there was then the girl with the dragon tattoo and then the Nordic noir, Joe Nesbos and everyone right. else of the world that kind of came after. Murakami, I guess, is the the biggest seller. If you've never tried Elif Shafak, she has a new book out. She's a Turkish writer. She's really wonderful. I didn't really think about picking one out. Last name, S-H-A-F-A-K. I think also, again... It's funny for me to say this because I just said I don't know more work about translation, but she is up there for a Nobel Prize kind of someday. She's also a, a oh, popular yeah. writer mm-hmm. in sort of that she sells a lot of units and has a, a huge social media following. So that's one you might check out too. But it doesn't, Americans aren't great at this, and we are Americans writing for Americans. So there we are. But hopefully there's a couple there that are interesting for you. Yeah, we definitely have the embarrassment of riches of like doing what we do for a living, where mm-hmm. my stack of unread books and my like log of unread galleys on my iPad is always bigger than I can ever conquer. And it very rarely includes translation that just presents itself to me. So I think probably the answer to how come I never do better at it, even if it's an intention, is that I don't actually pay that you much don't, attention. And, and you don't care that much. I mean, that's the other thing that yeah, happens. We don't yeah. care as much mm-hmm. as we do. Can I sidebar just for a second? This sure. is this is still the show, but I had a couple of experience yesterday. I was at Powell's. So I went to Powell's to go pick up Hell of a Book by Jason Mott, which won the National Book Award. I think I said on the show I was going to go do that. So ergo, mm-hmm. I did. A couple of interesting things I wanted to pass on just while I'm thinking about it here. First, to speak to that point of there's already so much. I haven't had this feeling in a while, but I had it yesterday of going into the bookstore. And I don't know if it's the season and it's this year, but like it was, to quote Top Gun, a target-rich environment for stuff I would read. <laughs> I had a very moment of like, oh my, I, like if you gave me 10 seconds in a shopping bag, I could pick out 50 books of things I can just reach from where I am right yep. now. Mm-hmm. Part of that is Pals is very good at this. Also, I'm really, I'm really, you know, I come by turn cycles of being in tune with what's new and uh, on the shelves and what's won awards and people are talking about. For whatever reason, right now, like my my powers of attention are at their peak for new releases and everything else like that. The second thing is, I thought was so interesting. So Jason Mark wins the National Book Award, which is the second most prestigious. Literary Award in America by title. I think the Pulitzer has better name recognition. I think some of it just has that specific name. If the National Book Award was called the Cathers or something, it, it probably mm-hmm. would be better. Anyway, I had to go deep into the shelves in fiction to M. Mott to find it. And they had plenty of copies. There was no standalone up front of the store, just huh. one National Book. Isn't that weird? I felt like that was a weird thing for Pals, which is supposed to be, and I think is, the Paragon of independent book lover bookstores, I was expecting to walk in and have that front and center with a big thing on it. And I think they'd be moving units of that yesterday. Yeah, I find that very surprising. Yeah, 
I don't know. Maybe it was a quick turnaround. It's a Friday to a Sunday kind of a situation. Mm. And here's the other thing. And I didn't say anything because I didn't want to be that guy, but I'm guessing I'm going to be that guy to <laughs> tens of thousands of people rather than just the one person there because it's better. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. So again, again, not everyone who works in a bookstore knows everything. I totally get that. But I heard this cashier while I was waiting in line talking books with people, right? Mm. Clearly knows. And he picks up the book and looks at it, reads the cover, looks at the front and said, how'd you hear about this book? And I was like, uh, well, it just won the National Book Award. And he was very, very surprised about that. So also surprised. I guess I just huh. don't know. So clearly, the, it, didn't, it didn't come through the tubes of information to pals on Hawthorne here in Portland. But I was yeah. kind of surprised. Now, I don't want to judge other people's book knowledge by mine because they, not everyone does this, and nor should they, and that's better for everyone. But in this particular moment, I'm trying to sense if that's something I should or should not be surprised by, either A or B. I think it's surprising because what often happens, especially, I guess, well, with the Nobel more than others, is as soon as that prize gets announced, independent bookstores like sell out of whatever the book is and everyone is scrambling and it goes into reprint and everyone deals with back orders for a while. And I think National Book Award and Pulitzer can be the same way. It's If nothing else, it's a thing that customers come in asking about and they do that whole like, what's that, the book that just won the National Mm -hmm. Book Award? It's something called like, it's a really good book or, you know, and and of course, like folks can Google it and help the customer find their way to it. But I think that's, that's surprising. And that's a, this just won a bunch of awards is the kind of thing that also helps people who are shopping in this season buy gifts for folks. Yes. Um, so I do, I think that it's fair to be surprised. I'm not I'm not trying that. to judge. I don't and it's not my business. Yeah, it doesn't hurt me. Just, I found the yeah, book. I'm fine. Don't probably, worry about me. They probably have their reasons. Yeah. Um it's I, I do think it's interesting though. I I'm wondering why they don't have a display out of all the National Book Award winners there or like a stack of them at the counter or something mm-hmm. and and to the first part of your sidebar, th- I think this year is a very target-rich environment yeah, okay. in new books partially because we got a bunch of new of great new things, but also there's that holdover of books that were supposed to be published last year and got bumped to this year because of COVID and production and supply chain and all of those things. It's like even more there's just a higher percentage of really yeah. good books this year that I'm having that same feeling about. Like I'm going to be in the airport next week and I have that, like I'll have a backpack full of things to read. And I know that I'm going to be standing in a Hudson news talking myself out of buying 10 more things that all look good <laughs> that I've sort of had on my radar for a while. And you know, th- that moment of like pre-travel optimism of like, I could read all of these in four and a half days and they all look great. It's the, truly an embarrassment of riches this year. I was thinking as I was walking around and and some of it is your eye is drawn, of course, to the the thicker books. And I was like, there was I've also read of quite a few and have quite a few real big books on my list. So here's the ones I've read of late. I read Dune for Adaptation Nation. There's a new episode mm-hmm. out now. Um, I did the first book of the Wheel of Time series, Eye of the World. I did Crossroads. I'm in the middle of the Lincoln Highway. I've got the book of form and emptiness on my shelf. I was looking at, at Cloud Cuckoo Land. These are 700 pages of of books. I was thinking sometime, and I don't know what format we do this, maybe for a fall previewed after or a secondary challenge mm-hmm. of the limit is not the number of titles, but the number of pages, yes. right? So it's like you get 5,000 pages of book. And mm. that, that's part of the thing. Because I was like, 
that that's how most of us actually experience reading is the amount mm-hmm. of minutes where our butt is in the chair or are the earbuds in our ear. And I've said this before, like my ideal novel size is around 350. I feel like yep. that's long enough. I can get into it, but I'm also not in a 700 page where I could do two experiences for the, the time price of one. And so not only with a target rich environment, but these are commitments. So like the, the dearth of reading time, and the gap between what I'd like to have read and what I can read felt as much, it felt imminent in a way it doesn't normally <laughs> for some particular reason. Um, yeah, anyway. That's that's very real. I think it's also why I want most business books to really be like novella sized. Like you didn't, yeah. I did not need to give you 350 pages worth of my reading time to get the idea of most of those across um, where you, you usually do need 300 for a good story in a novel. And very few writers actually earn more than 350 pages in terms of, you know, what it's really worth it to you to carve out. Cause I, that's right. I think if I went back and looked the number of books that I read in a year fluctuates, but I bet the pages is pretty consistent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, anyway, so sidebar over. Let's let's marshal on here. Rebecca, I believe the read is yours. Oh, I'm so delighted that I get to read yes. this because I'm this is our mutual best recommendation this request ever. Stuff. This listener's uh husband's grandmother, who is ninety-eight, has just recently started reading books. Mm. Just soak that in for Pause. a second. Mm-hmm. I need all the backstory. I need I, I need a seven-part documentary about how we got here, what our life is, what was a conversion story. Okay, proceed, Rebecca. Yeah. Grandma, so far, has enjoyed a few biographies, but she hasn't yet ventured into fiction. I want to say biographies are a really brave starting point mm. for books, first of all. So for Christmas, they are thinking of giving Grandma a cozy mystery or something with very little violence, score, or sex. They would love to find one with an older woman protagonist and it must be available in large print they said really if you have any recommendations for a 98 year old who has never read fiction for fun they're open to suggestions so what do you have i didn't i didn't have much luck with the large print because i don't know on amazon you sometimes can look but i'm not it's i know it's not determinative so i'm that's the caveat here i didn't really look for large print I, i don't know for sure though these are fairly popular books but I don't know how long they stay in print for a large print. This is an area of the publishing world I know very little about. Do you know much more very, about this than I do, Rebecca? Uh, I know a little bit more than you do. Very few books have big enough print runs or big enough audiences yeah. to make it worth it for the publisher to produce them in large print. It's usually like the very top tier of popular authors, like yeah. James Patterson, Nora Roberts, Baldacci, like that tier of author gets large print. I don't know how your grandma is with technology, but a great hack for this would be a really user-friendly Kindle where you could jack up the font size on any book. Yeah, that was my um, get-out-of-jail-free card for this was mm-hmm. there are tech solutions that might be worth looking at for this. You can get a, a good size Kindle and make it as big as you want. And yep. you can use Kindle Unlimited and everything else that goes along with it. So I went for, I'm not even sure what I would call these. I was like, this is what I would buy. Just a couple. Okay. One is, the first is a mystery series um, where it's based, it's like a gender or gender bent Sherlock Holmes. But the first book in the series is called a study in Scarlet. The author's name is Sherry Thomas. Couple things. I think this is easy to get through. It's also a thing that your grandmother probably has some mental model of Sherlock Holmes. So from a never tried fiction before, this is like a hook, right? It's kind really of like smart. a connection to get into there. 
Um, and they, like I said, it, it goes pretty quick. It's easy to it's easy to follow. It's still satisfying. Has a little bit of a history to it. And if she likes it, there's a bunch more. The other one I'm kind of dipping into the general book recommendation bag of tricks a little bit. The Story Life of AJ Fickery by Gabriel Zevin, which is a romance sort of. I guess it's a capital R romance, though you have to know that. Anyway, there's a love story in it, but it's set in a bookstore. So for someone who's exploring, you know, an interest and, and passion for books, maybe it sounds like this is a place that reaffirms and really supports that, you know, books can be special. It's a way of connecting with other people. Um, and you don't have to come, there's never, there's never a wrong time to connect with someone or connect with books writ large. So I, I don't know, frankly, if either of those are available in large print. I'm so sorry. That's a that's an interesting particular wrinkle to this. I don't remember ever getting a request for must be available in large print, mm-hmm. Rebecca. Um, what what did you pick there? I think yours are great picks for something that's familiar and that nice booky feeling. I went straight for older woman protagonist. Mm-hmm. And I've heard a lot about the Thursday Murder Club series by Richard Osman. It's one that it's pretty popular with our TBR subscribers and some of our contributors really like it. And it's about four septuagenarians with a few tricks up mm. their sleeves uh, as part of the tagline there. They live in a retirement village. These four women, they meet up weekly in the jigsaw room to talk about unsolved crimes. And so they become the Thursday Murder Club. Mm. Uh, in the first book, a local developer is found dead with a mysterious photograph left next to his body and the Thursday Murder Club finds themselves in the middle of their first live case. Mm. Um, it's a like fun and not too gory, uh, not too violent, like cozy feeling uh, series of mysteries. If Grandma likes this one, there are several more in the series. And I, I think in general, representations of older women are just sorely lacking yes. in all forms of media. So it's wonderful that there's a series that features not just one older woman, but four of them and and rolls on. Um, Unrelated to mystery, but just good fiction about older women. I really loved The Woman Next Door by Yawande Amatoso. This is kind of becoming one of my Swiss Army Mm. picks over the years. I think I've mentioned it on several of these recommendation shows. Um, Came out several years ago. It's set in South Africa in a neighborhood that is kind of a glitzy neighborhood. And both of the main characters are women, I believe, in their 80s. Um, one is black, one is white. They have, um, they've kind of been nemeses their whole lives, mm. or for at least the last many years living in this neighborhood, and a series of unpredictable events throw them together, and they sort of have to become friends. Uh, and it's really it's just really lovely and heartwarming, but also wrestles with, you know, some slightly bigger issues. It's not heavy, um, but takes these two women from very different backgrounds who think that they're not going to have anything in common and then have that experience of, oh, actually, we do have a lot more in common than we thought. It's pretty funny. I would love to see an adaptation of this. I think it would be a fun kind of follow on to the Grace and Frankie vibe of, mm. you know, sort of an odd couple, uh, fun take on two people coming from different places. Um, but that's The Woman Next Door by Yawande Amatoso. While you were talking, two more quick ideas. I, I went up a level for bestsellers in this mm-hmm. category in my mind. And again, I don't know, but you're, Rebecca's absolutely right that the more a book tends to sell, the more it's likely to get a, a large print edition, either because it's a known author, like you said, James Patterson, or the book sells and then becomes a thing. And one that's that takes a lot of boxes here, and I think would be a feel-good read for an older person. It's about an older person. It's a real phenomenon. I think it sold millions of copies worldwide. Frederick Bachman's A Man Called Ove. Mm. Uva. I don't know how you say the name. I've never heard it said out loud. 
cranky 85-year-old dude who... It's almost... This kind of setup, I think, is a trope bordering on cliche. On the, on the other hand, you know why? Because it's work. We like this idea of someone who's closed themselves off and then someone moves in next door or they meet somebody and then it opens them up. And that's really what here. And it's a wonderful book. I read it because everyone else is reading it. I was looking for something that's feel good, makes you feel good about the world. This one definitely does. I would be a little surprised if you couldn't find this in large print, though it might have to be used at this point. I'm not sure if they're pumping out mm. new, you know, what the, what backlist large print really looks like. Um, the other one that then I thought of after that was Lillian Box just takes a walk, which is a really fun historical fiction book set. It's a an older woman who's been working in the advertising, I think it's the advertising department of Macy's for like almost her whole life. It's set in the 30s. And one day she just starts walking in Manhattan. She's lived in Manhattan. And it's her journey through Manhattan as, as someone who's lived a rich and full and compromised and complicated life. And she has memories walking around and thinking about her life and everything else like this. I'm a New York person, not from there, but New York is central to my heart. So I don't know how much that in, you know influences my affection for this book. But another one centers an older protagonist who is looking back, looking through, looking around, and gives it a certain depth and resonance and better sweetness that comes along with it that's really good. Well, that one was relatively popular, though Though I have to admit, if pressed, I guess I would be surprised if that one made it into large print. Uh, I don't know, but those are a couple others. If you do go down the technology solution to this, um, I think those books would, would go over very well. Okay. Uh, thank you so much for writing. I'd love to know oh, sp- yes. all of these for sure, but what you chose and what her reaction was, really to anything she, she does in her to. life, I'd be, I'd be interested, but especially <laughs> our recommendations here as well. Okay, I think I... Oh, let's do another sponsor break real quick. Okay, I think I get to read the next one. Hello, Jeff and Rebecca. I'm looking book for my sister. Backstory, backstory. Uh... Both of us have become really interested in stories, storytelling, how the stories that become ingrained in us shape who we become. But we have a hard time finding books that help us answer these questions. That is a hard question, but also interesting. Uh, That's my side bar. The closest thing we really found is Antigone Rising by Helen Morales. And we came across Cassandra Speaks by Elizabeth Lesser recently, although the jury is still out on that one. Feels a little girl bossy. Do you have any recommendations Mm. along these lines? Bonus points if it's not the sham, quote unquote, world history that's just Greece and Rome. And extra bonus points if it's trans-friendly. All right. Rebecca? Okay. What do you have? Okay, this is not sham world history, but it is a classic in the classical sense. Uh, Wake Siren by Nina McLaughlin is a rewriting of Ovid's Metamorphoses through the voices of the or through the perspectives of the female characters that so often in mythology are victims of rape or assault or flung into circumstances that they did not choose and don't have agency for. She imagines herself into their perspectives um, of those experiences, their voices, their side of the story as more than just the instrument that moves the male main character forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I It's been a couple years since I read it. It came out in 2019 and I read it, I think, prior to release. I don't remember if she takes a particularly um, like trans forward approach. Um, I also do, but I also don't remember anything that f- I flagged at the time as transphobic. Um, she is 
you know, I think working within the assumed, uh, the framework of an assumed binary here, because the Ovid stories are about these male and female characters. Um, but I think this is a safe choice for the two of y'all. I hope it is. And please let me, mm-hmm. <laughs> please let me know if I got that wrong. Um, but I found the premise of it to be very compelling. I've loved the metamorphoses since college. Um, and I had not thought about, I think, in a critical way, how little agency and to what degree most of the female characters are just instrumental. Um, and having a writer that I really enjoy flip those on their heads and, and give life and voice to those female characters was really powerful. So I'd recommend that. Um, for a broader step back about stories and the power of stories, um, I think The Storytelling Animal by Jonathan Gottschall might be interesting to y'all. Um, it's less about mythology and more about why do we have stories in the first place? What does this do um, for human society and culture? There's a little neurology. There's a lot of sociology thrown in, but that might contribute to the framework it sounds like you and your sister are building together. Um, and if you have not read Women Who Run With the That was going to be my pick. <laughs> By Clarissa Pinkola Estes. Um, that's a, I think, foundational text that informs so many of the other modern and contemporary looks at mythology and and not just Greek or Roman mythology, but the mythologies of more ancient cultures um, and how do we understand the stories and the kind of archetypes that that appear there. That's that's one that, if nothing else. Tons of other writers refer to um, Cl- Cl- bleh, Clarissa Pingola Estes and Women Who Run With the Wolves, and it will behoove you to be familiar with that work. Yeah, that's a really good pick. My pick is a new release. I haven't read this yet, though I have gazed longingly at it several times. It's a beautiful work. I think it might um, appear under my metaphorical Christmas tree, i.e. I buy mm-hmm. it for myself at some point. <laughs> it's called The Heroine with a Thousand One Faces by Maria Tatar. If you know um, Joseph Campbell's idea book, The Hero of a Thousand Faces, you can maybe intuit what this book is, which is a, I, I don't think a um, rebuttal necessarily as much as is a filling in the blank spots in this idea of the con- a consistent way of looking at, quote unquote, the hero by looking at main female characters through time and place and genre and story. This one begins with antiquity all the way up through... Netflix, stuff, you know, the the um, the Queen's Gambit, the main character in there makes an appearance in this book as the, a modern version of what a heroine looks like as basically, I thought the, the most compelling part to me that I was interested in is this modern version of the heroine doing something different than a male figured hero. They're the trickster. They work in and around society's ideas and laws to do different kinds of work than the hero does. Um, it's a beautiful book. It's a we make we make a wonderful gift. Has a lots of illustrations. I think so. It sounds like you guys are interested in these synthetic looks at stories and storytelling and fig- figures and characters over time. A much needed work. I'm surprised something like this hasn't appeared before. Maybe it has, but I think it's a really cool book. And it looks like you could take chapter by chapter. Right, they're each looking at different ideas of the heroine over time, um, all the way to the modern day the kind of synthetic work that I think can be reveal interesting by its specific t- topic on a page-by-page basis, but also revealing when you start to look at it synthetically and look through the ideas of that book at the world writ large. So that's The Heroine with 1001 Faces by Maria Tatar. One more face than I believe was in uh, Joseph Campbell. So it's one better than uh, The Hero of a Thousand Faces. 
That's going on my list immediately. All right, there you go. Uh, let's see right. your read. Yeah, next one is, let's see, someone who's helping their best friend who it sounds like is recovering from having had educational experiences that really stemmed from ADD, but being told that they just like were slow and weren't good readers and is now coming around to finding books that uh, the friend can resonate with and can enjoy and they let's see they're averaging a couple really good hits a year this year the friend loved kink and the seven husbands of evelyn hugo which our listener notes for you jeff is one of taylor jenkins reads novels but not her debut novel this was before her debut novel <laughs> thanks for being in on the thanks. joke with thank us, you friends. so much <laughs> Um, they've had success with books that are fast-paced, um, that don't leave the, t- the mind much time to wander. Not one for nuance or slow burns. Uh, loving Halloween or scary books, sex and body positivity, and anything feminist. I like this idea, um, Kat, that you want to put, you want to, the fire's raging, so you want to just put ready-to-burn mm-hmm. stuff on there. Yep. You know, just keep that thing going and maybe, you know, the fire itself, but we're not trying to mess with the success here. I think Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed has a chance to be, go into my pantheon of recommendations because it's contemporary. It's on rails once you get going. It has several uh, oh crap moments. Uh, I had a couple of people recently in my life that were reading it. It's like, okay, tell me when you get to the dinner scene in the middle. <laughs> and like, and I said, don't have anything else to do when you get right. when you're ready to. There's a knock on the door moment in that. That's like very singular in these kinds of reading experiences. But it's also it's fresh and relevant, but also very plotty. So it's like that's a very difficult thing to do on the whole. Mm-hmm. And I think we've now, Rebecca, I think it's fair to say we've seen some imitators or people yes. pitching something as this, and it ain't easy to do this. It's so not. such a fun age by Kylie Reed is my pick here. I think that's a great pick. Um, also, to scratch the Taylor Jenkins read itch, I think Emma Straub would be a good flavor for this, really any of her novels. Um, one great way to keep the mind from wandering is short chapters that mm. rotate between a cast of characters, and Straub is really good at that carousel of characters writing. Um, Crazy Rich Asians might be really fun as well. There's just so much to glom onto in the world, and that book is also on rails. There's a lot to pay attention to, and um, like not a lot to pay attention to. There's a lot that will make you want to stay reading and build that world um, around you and those characters. And it does move between a whole bunch of different voices. Um, City of Girls by Elizabeth Gilbert might all scratch the itch for some of the glitz of the Mm. seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo. And it, um, I think, also has shorter chapters. It moves between time periods. It's very feminist and um, rings that bell for um, sex and body positivity. It's about um, a woman in the 20s or 30s, I believe who's living a an unconventional life and someone in this time period reflecting back um, on that. And maybe this is a little out of left field, but for somebody who's new to discovering that they like reading, I love an anthology. I think it's a mm. great way to discover new writers and you're not committed to like the whole thing. So I, I think maybe pick up like Best American Short Stories for your friend and let her pop in and out of the ones like some of them will be that very heady kind of short story that people write for their MFA programs. But some of them will be things that grab you by the throat. And maybe then she can hunt down other work by those writers or find their novels. I, I just think those Best American Short Stories collections are usually phenomenal and are a great way to discover people that you're not reading but that you want to be reading more of. 
Indeed. Um, let's see. Let's do one or two more, and then we'll we'll take a break between shows. Uh, me, my read. It's your read, yeah. My read. <laughs> I need some help choosing a book for my 19 year old son who isn't a fan of reading. He loved to read as a kid, but has faded through high school. He loved Ivory Wimpy Kid and the Big Nate books. He doesn't like graphic novels, which blows my mind. That's them, not me. With that parenthetical, he's into hockey and golf. Any help you can provide would be greatly appreciated. Sincerely, a frustrated mom who's a librarian and can't believe she can't find a book her son will enjoy, or also known as Lisa. Okay, what do you have for Lisa, Rebecca? (laughs) I think if anything is going to win this battle, it's going to be something like Andy Weir. A pickup, the march, something that's cinematic, that's just as much fun to read as it is to watch on the big screen. So I would go with The Martian or with Project Hail Mary. They're both super fun. Uh, If you're not grabbed by Mark Watney on page one of The Martian going like, well, I'm effed. Like, I don't know what, I don't know what's going to be successful here. I also grabbed this as my annual moment to make the parenthetical of like, it's also okay if somebody doesn't read. And if your kid or whoever you're shopping for is not a book person, but they like hockey and golf, it's like, buy them a gift card to the local driving range, (laughs) which is maybe not the answer that you were looking for, Lisa, but it's one that I would encourage you to consider that folks come to books and reading I think like anything else when they're ready and when it appeals to them and not everybody is a book person even with a mom who's a librarian I echo that it's always worth saying is this the right um, shaped hole for the the thing but having said that I don't get to talk about golf books very much Um, I come from a line of golfers I am myself a very bad golfer hasn't played in a very long time (laughs) but as you may not be surprised to hear I'm interested in reading about golf my favorite golf book I've read it's been out for a while now so I don't know how au courant it is but it's kind of one of those I feel like one of those timeless sports books that the behind the scenes of any era that gets unprecedented access is still fascinating so I don't know if your, your, your son here is into golf and not just golf for fun, but like the PGA and like professional golf. But this one's called The Good Walk Spoiled by John Feinstein. It's the story of a particular season where Feinstein gets access to players and behind the scenes and just how the sausage is made, I think, for any professional sports league is particularly interesting. Be pretty good on audio, I think, if there's an audio mm-hmm. version. Maybe a little audio while playing golf would be fun. Um, the canonical golf book, though, and there is one. It's Harvey Pinnock's Little Red Book. And I think the best way to describe it, it's it's lessons from a life in golf, but it's kind of how to golf, but it's kind of how to golf in the same way that elements of style is how to write, which is there are suggestions, but it's more a vibe, right? It's more of Mm. a point of view on golfing in the world and what should be done. And it's short. So you're not like, you know, it's a, it's, it's, it's very giftable, like something you could give to someone. And if they never pick it up, that's fine because they can keep it on their shelves, but it's also very easy to open and like get into a little bit. So the the pri- the the friction to entry is very low. So that was one way I was thinking is like, this is a thing that all golf people who read books and have a cross cross of the streams have already. But maybe we've caught your son early enough that they can recommend this. With, I can recommend this without seeing like the most obvious person in the world. But it's available. I think anyone who likes golf, even if they don't like books at all, will flip through it and find something interesting in it. Um, so that's, I think that would be my number one pick is Harvey Penick's little, Harvey Penick's little red book, P-E-N-I-C-K. Uh, I think now it's always in print, but I think now the one you find is a 20th anniversary or 25th anniversary, um, edition there. Um, all right. I think we need to break for this episode. So far, so good, Rebecca. Thank you so much. As always, you could find 
what we talk about in the show, but particularly these episodes, I do go put all the books that we talk about in there. Though I will tell you this, I'll warn you about this. They are not grouped by category. I don't have the questions in there. You just have to click around and have your mind be caught by something you remember. Podcast at bookriot.com. If you've got feedback, other ideas for us, Rebecca, we'll talk to you soon, you and I, and in a week for those listening.